Welcome to the Get Good at Presenting podcast with Lee Jackson. I'm here today with some brilliant people on a very specific subject that I really wanted to cover. I am in my, when I'm doing presentation coaching, which is a big chunk of my work, I often meet people who, who are speaking in English, but English is not their first language. And so I, I'm very aware of this. And I really want to give some resources to help people. So I've got together today two good friends, great speakers, guests who speak in English, but English is not necessarily their first language. So I want them to tell their story and to give some tips about how we can speak in English when we are not English, as it were. So it's <laughs> it should be a good one, a really interesting one. So first of all, I've got Olga Gidana. Olga Gidana. Hi, Olga. Hello, Lee. Hi. Did I pronounce your name correctly? Yes, almost that, but don't worry. It's Gaydana, but you know what? I enjoy oh. listening to different variations of my surname. It's all good. I've been practicing Olga as well. I'm just, uh, Never mind. I'll try again. Olga <laughs> Gaydana. Fantastic. Uh, great. Lovely. And uh, the other person we've got with us is Frederica Roberts. Hi, Fred. Hello, Lee. Hi, Fred. And, and uh, can I call you Fred or Frederica? What do you prefer these days? I don't know. <laughs> Fred is absolutely fine. Yeah. Fine. I always know you as Fred. You're in my phone as Fred anyway. Because <laughs> um, I don't know any other Freds, I don't think. So that works well. So, so yeah. So, in introduction. So, Olga is a, an executive mindset and performance coach and a speaker. She helps to identify and resolve subconscious blocks so that you can level up. She's a world traveler, and I've had many Zoom calls with her on, on beaches and, and in various places, and also the host at Olga's show. So that's what Olga does. And Frederica is a well-being and positive psychology speaker, trainer, lecturer, a conference and school speaker. I think I first met her as a school speaker, and uh, is into positive education and character education, and is from Doncaster, and Olga, you're, are you from Doncaster as well, Olga? I can't remember where you're from. I was going to say, I didn't know Freddy's in Doncaster as well. Oh, my God, we have to go for a walk then. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> there's not many other people in Doncaster, to be fair. So uh, there's two excellent people. So that is what these wonderful people do. But I wanted to know a little bit about their story and how they can share some information to help them. So, uh, Olga, can I start with you? How long have you been here in England? So... In May on the 26th, it will be exactly 12 years since I arrived to the sunny and welcoming England. <laughs> sunny. Are you sure it's sunny? Okay. But thank you for that. Can you tell us a little bit, if you feel able to sort of tell your story about how you, how you came here? Oh, sure. Absolutely. It's, uh, I think it's quite an interesting story and I hope that will inspire some people. Being in England, that was always my dream since I was at school. When at school we were learning English as a, as a second language, we were told about Big Ben and the Queen and how polite British people are. They always ask you, how are you? And, and that somehow resonated with me. And I was like, oh, my God, I really want to be in a place where people are so nice and polite and always welcoming. And then when I arrived to England, I landed in Bradford 12 years ago. And instead of how are you, I heard how are you, and something ununderstandable, not understandable, not pronounceable. I understood that the English which I learned back at school was not the English that people communicate here. 
Long story short, I moved from Bradford to Leeds within a couple of weeks' time because I just understood that I prefer Leeds for the vibe, for the for the, you know, how busy the city is, for how beautiful. And just in general, I preferred Leeds and that became my home for seven years. But what's interestingly, when I landed in UK, I knew this is my one-way ticket. I came here not to get a job, even though they say foreigners are taking all our jobs. (laughs) I came here to establish myself, to follow my dream of being in the UK, but also to establish myself and to become something. At the time, I didn't know who I will become or what I will do, but my goal was to speak English as soon as possible. I did not understand the English people were speaking here. I wasn't able to communicate. So my goal was to speak that language as soon as possible. And I did it. Well, now, 12 years later, not only I speak English, I'm also the regional president of Professional Speaker Association in Yorkshire, right? Where you were president and also Fred was president. So to me, this is such (laughs) a great achievement because when people were wondering, Olga, how do you handle being in the UK without speaking English? I would always answer, I practice every day. I was forcing myself to think in English. I was forcing myself to avoid Russian language. This is my first language, even though I'm from Latvia. I was forcing myself to do everything in English, including my phone, everything I was doing in English. To the extent, I'll be honest with you, Lee, right now, I struggle to write in Russian. (laughs) So I think I slightly overdid it. (laughs) So... So, I mean, that must have been, I mean, I, I speak a few words of languages enough to sort of find out where the toilets are or, or get a beer or something, you know. But to force yourself, was it actually tiring? Was it exhausting to learn a new language in that way? I'll be honest, I don't remember if it was tiring or not. It was quite adventurous to to learn new words and I was always carrying with me a little tiny dictionary which right now looks like a disaster because I probably overused it it was quite fun when people were approaching me for directions for me to answer to them in my broken English and I clearly remember when I was doing my very very first job in the UK which was you will not believe it probably I was handing out free magazines called, I think they were called Stylist or something, by the train station. And I was working alongside a Polish girl who was doing this job for three years. And once a gentleman came to me and he asked me for directions. And what happened, when he asked me for directions, with my broken English, I pulled out my map and I did my best to explain to him how to get to the place which he was looking for. After that, this lady who was Polish, working alongside me, she asked me, Olga, why do you bother? And I said, why not? She said, but you don't speak English. I said, but how else can I improve English? She said, but you don't know the city. I said, but how else can I know the city if I don't learn about the city with other people? So it was quite adventurous. Or for example, me calling to 3G network, you know, the customer service team, pretending I have an issue with my phone or pretending I don't know how to do something with a messaging or whatever. And I would always speak to somebody with a really harsh Indian accent. <laughs> but to right. me, that was my way of practicing the language. So I was always finding these interesting ways of how could I practice my English or okay. on the bus, for example, listening to conversations. It was fascinating to listen to other people's conversations <laughs> on the back seat. You know what I mean? So I was always finding some unique ways how to practice my English. 
And to me, that was more adventurous, rather tiring. Very interesting. Thanks, Olga. That's fascinating. I'm obviously from Leeds, but uh, I don't live too far from Bradford. But the Bradford, like a deep Leeds accent or a deep Bradford accent can be really hard to understand. You know, you certainly didn't land in central London, did you? So it must have been difficult. Yeah. No, no. I was expecting Big Bang. And instead, I have seen the Bradford Alhambra Theatre. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. It's a lovely place, of course, with oh, the yeah. film and TV uh, museum and all that stuff. Great stuff. Thanks, Olga. Um, Fred, can I ask you the same question? Kind of what was your journey sort of being here? It's a little different from Olga's, obviously, but I'm in, really interested in that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm stunned, actually, at how much I have in common with Olga because I also landed in Bradford the first time <laughs> I came to the UK. So I came to the UK in 1990, so 31 years ago. I'm Italian and German, and I, when I was two years old, we moved to Luxembourg. My mum got a job working for the European Parliament. So I grew up in a country where lots of different languages languages were spoken. Um, I went to nursery and was speaking French at the age of three. I was speaking Italian at home, but then I went to the European school and my mum put me in the German section so that I'd be fully bilingual. And then we started learning English from year one, which at the European school is when you're six years old. So I'd had quite a few experiences of kind of being immersed in languages anyway, because when I started kindergarten at the age of four, I didn't actually speak a word of German. And uh, (laughs) Lee, you know me. And the one thing that you'd probably never describe me as is quiet, shy and retiring. And, <laughs> you know, I, I, my, my very best friend that I've known since those days in kindergarten has known me since we were both four years old. And she has said to me a few times, you know, you were so quiet in kindergarten. Like, yeah, because I didn't speak the language. And so I spent two, two years absorbing German in kindergarten. Then my mum asked the teachers if there was, um, if there were some parents willing to send their child on holiday with us to Italy in the summer before we started primary school so that I could actually speak German. So a girl called Jutta came on holiday with us to to Italy for two months so that I could actually speak German by the time we started primary school. And then in primary school, first year in primary school, started learning English and we learned English in mixed nationality groups. So you could only use the language you were learning to communicate with the teacher and with each other because I had Danish people in the class with me, Italians, obviously, but I spoke Italian, but and French people and Dutch people and, and you name it, you know, <laughs> everything that was at the time the European community that now is the EU. And so as I went through school, we started doing more and more subjects in our first foreign language, which for me was English. So I started doing history and geography in English in mixed nationality groups from the age of 13. And then once I moved into sixth form, well, in fact, even before that, um, we were doing economics and sociology again in English in the mixed nationality group. So I was quite used to doing academic work in English. And when it came to choosing universities at the time, Luxembourg being a tiny, tiny, country uh, didn't have a university it has now a very well established university but it didn't at the time so I would have had to go somewhere else anyway and obviously speaking a number of languages and being in the center of Europe I had quite a few options and choices I looked at Italy I looked at France I looked at Germany Belgium but actually English I felt was my best written language even then Um, and I really liked the university system in in the UK I liked the kind of tutorial system so I'd been and visited friends 
friends at uni in Italy and, and literally you had like people queuing up outside lecture theatres with a lecturer speaking into a microphone and there was no kind of tutorial group to follow that oh, up. Wow. You know, that was the only that was the only tuition you had. It was quite, a, I mean, that was in Rome and it was a big oversubscribed engineering course, but even so. Um, so I came to the UK and uh, I looked at lots of universities. I'd come with my mum and done lots of open days. We got, and somehow I chose Bradford, even though we got snowed in in Bradford on the open <laughs> day. I, I remember just kind of trying to get back. Uh, I was doing uh, business and management. So we'd gone to the management centre on M Lane, which is away from the main campus of the university and sort of towards Ilkley and Shipley. So even more snow there. And we couldn't get back into town. No taxis were running, no buses were running. Oh, I see. <laughs> It was just, and, and I still chose to go to Bradford or, or Bradford, as uh, as I soon learned it was called. And like Olga, I couldn't understand a word people said to me once I was there. I remember in our halls of residence, we had this lovely cleaner called Shirley. And I spent probably the first few months of my time there just smiling and nodding at her because I had no idea what she said to me whenever she spoke to and then, of course, I was exposed to all these other accents as well, not just Bradford accents. Of course, being at university, there were people from all over the place. And even in my second year, I moved in with a bunch of lads and I knew only one of them and the other two were on his course. And one of them was Northern Irish. And I lived with this bloke and I never understood what he wow. said to me. <laughs> very disconcerting even though I'd spent a year in, in the UK by then and yeah. now obviously you, you can hear my my accent I suppose you know generically Yorkshire I suppose is what people have described my accent as when I go anywhere south of the Midlands people say oh you're definitely a northerner and uh, when I'm <laughs> up, up around here I remember in the days when I used to teach in in Sheffield yeah people used to go oh you eat posh miss <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> I don't posh. have reet posh. <laughs> that, that, that's reet. That's R double E T. Absolutely, that's Sheffield for you. <laughs> so you know, for 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 where I live, I don't sound like I'm local, but the, there is this kind of generic northern thing. And over the years, I've I've come up with you know I've, I've had odd, uh, bizarre idiomatic blunders so things like I remember saying oh you, you can't make a, a mountain out of an elephant because I was mixing my my, my oh, idioms see. you know from different languages and and my husband still laughs at me now and I said to him well when you speak Italian the way I speak English you're entitled to laugh at me but he laughs at me because one day we were in uh, in Cleethorpes on the beach having a very romantic stroll as you do as students uh, he was on placement in Grimsby at the time and I said oh look at those horses galloping on the beach <laughs> galloping <laughs> so yes it, it's been an interesting journey linguistically and, and now like Olga I if anything I struggle with my other languages and actually I don't consider by the time I started speaking as a profession I didn't feel that I was speaking in a foreign language even though I mean I am British now since 2019 but I, I don't feel British in that kind of sense you know I definitely feel Italian and German but my linguistic ability is definitely better in English I have far broader vocab in speaking and in writing um, yeah. all my subject knowledge you know in terms of positive psychology is all in English I've done my master's in English all my vocabulary around that is yeah. in English and then last year I ended up doing a, a few um, speaking engagements in French and that was wow. really challenging because although I'm completely fluent in French and, and get mistaken for a French person quite often, what I am lacking is a vocab sometimes. And what I'm lacking even more is the specific vocab when it comes to my subject. So it took me 
weeks and weeks of translating vocab, of checking with friends, of making sure that I was getting it right. And then I had to put like written information together, both for my slides, but also for, for you know, blurb for the conferences and things. Yeah. And I was having people check it because I've never learned to write French. <laughs> so okay. I could read it, but, you know, I've never learned to write it. So for me, the experience was kind of, it's it's like almost a bizarre about turn where my other languages have almost become my foreign language, which makes me quite sad, but I'm very fluent in them, just not mm-hmm. professionally. And I was 18 when I moved to the UK. So I always say, you know, I don't know how to be an adult in all these other languages. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how to write formal letters in other languages or, or you yeah. know, all of that. I've had to do a lot of stuff writing to consulates and, and, and things recently in Italy. Well, Italian consulate over here and councils in Italy to sort out my husband's Italian citizenship which he got yesterday Um, and just writing a simple email sends me into a bit of a tizzy because I don't you know I don't really know how to do that in Italian (laughs) it's yeah that's the bizarre thing about it so yeah so uh, we've probably talked about this on the podcast before but the written word is different to the spoken word and that very much so is in language too you know that you can say the language you can be fluent in it but then you suddenly can't write it that's interesting yeah Mm. And vice versa, vice versa. I mean, I've um, one of one of the things that I was very proud of when when I graduated the first time round with my bachelor's degree is afterwards I did a TEFL course that t- uh, trained to teach English as a foreign language to adults, which I was very proud to be doing as a as a foreigner. Um, and what was really interesting is I spent a couple of summers teaching at Harrogate Language Academy, and we quite often got students that came over. Particularly at one point, we had a massive group uh, that all came over from a school in Japan, and these. Japanese students were brilliant at their written English but they couldn't speak a word of English and they couldn't understand really basic dialogue because all of their training in the language had been very grammatical and very precise in writing so yeah it's very different yeah and and of course it's not it's not Harrogate it's Harrogate (laughs) Harrogate is very much the posh part of Yorkshire isn't it Um, (laughs) very much so yes they might they might have struggled with that but yeah so fascinating so uh, thanks for sharing your story Fred it's um such amazing. I mean, when I first met you, we were trying to work it out, probably 2014, something like that. It wasn't until I heard you speak and do a presentation that I realized that you weren't English. It never crossed my mind that you weren't English. It was only when you started sharing some of your backstory in a presentation when I thought, oh, right, I didn't realize. And then <laughs> and then you, I think you, in those days, I think you had a YouTube channel with Italian food, if I remember rightly. Oh, I still, I still do lots of Italian. I've got oh, a, a food God. blog and uh, yes. And, and actually Good. we've kind of revived it a bit with my, my daughter being home with long COVID. We'd be doing lots of food blogging together mm. and we're starting to do little videos together. And we want, you know, she's like, I want us to speak a bit of Italian on that as well. So yeah. And I've started doing little snippets again of me making pasta and, and talking about it in Italian and in English. I love doing that. Yeah. <laughs> but I hadn't even joined the dots, of course. Yeah. And I have still yet to get to your house and eat Italian food with you, Fred. It's one of my, one of my major goals, I think, for life, I think, is to get well, to Well, the invitation house. is there and it's open and hopefully it won't be Thank long you. before you can do so. <laughs> and in fact, Olga was very kind the other day and she invited me to her house to eat as well because I've not had the uh, the Latvian hospitality thing yet, have I, Olga? So that's uh, that's what I needed. And I need, I need a little bit of uh, hospitality in both. So you, so I look forward to maybe eating eating with you as well, Olga. Oh, and I'm looking forward to hosting you too. And Fred as well. Come on, Fred, you are so local. I didn't even realize that. But yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how 
different culturally we all are, right? And how Italian mm. hospitality is slightly different to Russian hospitality or Latvian and then English hospitality. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful thing about being so diverse. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, this is one I would we'll come on to speaking in just a moment, but this is one of the reasons why I just do not understand people who are racist. It's like they are from a different planet, right? I love the fact that I've got a, a Russian-speaking Latvian speaker friend, and I've got I've got Fred who speaks three or four languages Italian. I just love the fact that I've got friends from all over the country, different religions, different backgrounds, different languages. Why on earth? Would you not want that connections? I never understand racism. I genuinely don't. It's weird. It is weird. I mean, I, I just find it really enriches life, you know, to have different cultures, different languages, different foods. It is very sad, actually. And, and it's it, it says a lot about, I don't know, I think it's it's a kind of threat threat thing, isn't it? Feeling insecure yeah, and, course, and, yeah. and feeling. But it's, yeah, I find it really sad to to kind of think of people who don't appreciate that and yeah. you know f- for me maybe growing up in a, in a very I mean I always thought it was a very multicultural environment that I grew up in in Luxembourg and then I realized it is multicultural now but really it was just multi-European <laughs> which right. was yeah, you know yeah. so it was a very different experience coming to the UK and particularly coming to Bradford actually and it was fantastic and uh, you know and mm. I think the influence on food of different cultures is phenomenal so more of it <laughs> yeah well if you want the full cultural experience come to bradford and go along curry mile and oh yeah <laughs> get all the best curry houses all within on the leeds road it's quite something isn't it so let's talk a bit about speaking most people are listening to this they're, they're public speakers they're professional speakers they're business people who speak and maybe they're interested particularly as english is not their first language so first of all tell me olga what do you speak about Tell us a little bit about that. And then maybe just give me uh, one or two top tips for maybe the first time that you were starting to speak in English. I'd be interested to hear that. Oh, absolutely. Yes, with a pleasure. So I speak on the power of mindset. It is about the way how we speak and the way how we think and how we can truly transform our lives and reinvent ourselves with the power of our own self-talk. And very often I refer, even in my talks or in my workshops, which I do very often as well for organizations or just general, which I set up my own, about that relearning the way how we speak and how we verbalize our sentences and what we say is almost the same like learning a new language. It is fascinating when every time when I speak to my clients, whether it is one-to-many as a speaker or one-to-one as a coaching session, that when I catch them saying, for example, like, oh, I'm not really good at, or I'm really rubbish, or, and I'm like, let's not just stop here, <laughs> right? Yeah. If you keep saying this, you're going to keep being a rubbish, right? So it is about learning the new language, learning the new patterns. And that's exactly what I speak about, the power of a word, the power of your mindset, the power of how you use your language, the language which you're thinking, the language which you say, the language which you write in, in order to build your life. Mm. And as, as a couple of tips to those who are starting their speaking journey, I was such a perfectionist. I was such an OCD person who wanted to speak perfect English before I would do public speaking. And what's interesting, when my ex-fiance told me, literally, who do you think, Olga, you are? 
when I told him that I would like to start public speaking and, and deliver messages and inspire people, yeah. when he told me, Olga, you came from a, such a small place, Latvia, nobody knows this place, nobody knows you, who do you think you are? And your English is so, well, he used the word C-R-A-P. I'm not sure if I can say that word. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I understand. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he said, Olga, why do you think people will even listen to you? Look at the way how you speak. And I felt so discouraged. I felt, you know what? Yes, you're right. I'm, I'm not English speaking person. You know, English is my only fourth language. What do I know? You know, I'm so young as well. So I had all these insecurities. And then I was like, hold on, hold on, put your coaching hat on and just work with that. And I realized I was looking for approval. I was looking for being perfect. As a result, of course, I attracted him who was planting into me even more insecurities, even more disbelief. Yeah, so yeah. I had to not only change myself, but also had to change my relationships. As a result, he's ex-fiance, right? But tip to speakers would be, don't wait for somebody to encourage you. Don't wait for somebody to start believing in you. Don't wait for somebody to praise you and, and tell you, oh, you're so amazing. Just do it and think about, you know, the message which you will share. It could be a video on social media. It could be an article which you will write as a speaker, maybe as an author, maybe as a coach, as a person who wants to start speaking publicly, start verbalizing, start putting in words what you think and start sharing that value because mm -hmm. what you will share now will leave legacy. Every video people are making is leaving legacy. Every post we are making, we are leaving legacy with that. And when you start the journey of sharing what you know, that will transform somebody else's life. Yeah. So when you put you as it's not about me, it's about those lives I can change, that language doesn't really matter. And guess what? You will hear compliments like I hear, oh, Olga, your accent is so endearing. Right, And I love receiving these compliments, but I would like to share another tip, which probably will be useful not only for foreigners, but even uh, native English speakers. It is to get voice coaching. It is something what I have done. It is something that softened up my accent. It is something that helped me to be more understood, right? Because I start using the sounds and pronouncing words in the way how they should be pronounced in English. And I was really surprised when my coach, she told me, Olga, you'll be surprised how many English speaking people still don't speak proper English. And that made me feel good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course. So don't be afraid to seek help and get voice coaching done. I'm very happy I've done it. Maybe I'll go for another course just because I strongly believe it's something what we all can do. It doesn't mean you're weak. It yeah. doesn't mean you're bad. It doesn't mean you speak bad language. No, it just means you're on a journey of self-improvement. Great tips. Thank you, Olga. I was wondering, how, how do you handle, uh, first, when you, obviously, you, you, your English is amazing now, and but when you first started, your vocabulary would be less. You'd have less words. Were you very nervous in those times? Were you concerned about the lack of vocabulary or your accent or you obviously a very positive person you got over that I'm just thinking there might be someone listening here who may they're maybe not even a professional speaker they just want to lead a meeting at work and they're a bit nervous about that so so you know did it get better over time it does it's really good question Lee but it genuinely does it's like with driving once you get your driving license, you have the document, 
but you don't know how to drive by yourself because you were always driving either with your relatives or with the driving instructor. And only when you start driving by yourself, then you learn your own driving style. And the same with the language. The more you practice, the better you become, right? So here, what I was doing, I was, let's say, if I was writing an article or a post, even short post in English on Facebook, maybe LinkedIn, I would always go to Google and I would ask for synonyms maybe synonym. You see, sometimes I still confuse what is the right yeah, way to connect. Synonym, yeah, synonym, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I would always look for similar ways of saying different words, right? So let's say word nice. That is beautiful. That is outstanding. That is wonderful. There's so many ways how you can describe the same thing. And what I would suggest here, look for more words, improve your vocabulary, carry with you a yeah. dictionary. You will, if you would come here to my bathroom, you will see I still have a dictionary next to the toilet not literal next but like you know you can reach it yeah. right so it doesn't get messy but because when you get bored you can just open it and find maybe a new fresh word right because it's something that Very you can good. always improve yourself right but same time let's highlight the importance of the message yeah. right for example when you receive a gift is it about the wrapping or is it about the gift so when you give a gift of your message it is about the actual gift. It's not about how you say it, right? So let's concentrate on you passing on the gift, the special gift within yourself, the special message which you have within yourself to the people, to the audience, you know, to whoever is listening to you, a written, written way or spoken way, it doesn't matter. But let's focus on the gift you have within yourself, which you're passing on rather than wrapping and how you say right. it, because the wrapping can be improved. Over the time, you will become more expensive wrapping, right? You'll become <laughs> an eloquent speaker. You'll become amazing speaker. But start with just giving the gift. Great. Amazing advice. Thank you. Yeah. So I always encourage people to get good. Obviously, that's kind of, you know, I trademark that get good is my thing. So getting good is getting good over a period of time. And that's the same thing. But I guess what I'm hearing from you, Olga, is really is that perfectionism is the enemy here that get yourself out there and get doing it. Fantastic stuff. So Fred, tell me a little bit about more, you know, just for a minute or so about what you're speaking about, what you do. And then maybe again, you give me your two or three top tips from your experience, Fred, that would be great. Okay. Well, most of my speaking, not all of it, but most of it is in schools. So whether it's working with pupils, any I've worked with pupils from age seven or eight, all the way up to 18, or increasingly more and more working uh, with their teachers and other staff in schools. So my my expertise is positive psychology, so the science of well-being. So what I talk about is very much applying that science of well-being to the education sector, particularly in the context of whole school well-being. So how do you put all the systems in place? How do you make sure Mm. that it's not just about, you know, delivering a well-being lesson or a workshop to kids, but Um, or or giving flowers or chocolates to the staff on a particular day of the week. You know, it's about putting everything in place so that people can flourish within that school community. Yeah. And I do that through speaking and training, uh, but I also do sort of um, support action research within schools. So I I take staff through action research projects that last one to two academic years. And I do um, whole school and trust improvement projects using appreciative inquiry as well. So that's what I speak about. And yeah, I do it in a variety of ways and recently uh, started lecturing as well. So I was invited back to lecture on the positive education module of the master's that I'd uh, done. I've done that twice now, two years in a row and sort of the School of Positive Education Mm. in Singapore as well. So doing a bit of academic speaking as well. 
Great. So, so, so you know, what, what are your what are your top tips then, really, for for speakers? Particularly in the context of a, of a different language, I suppose. Yeah, Olga I think so, yeah. covered. Yeah, Olga covered a lot of the important stuff there about the message and the content, and not being too much of a perfectionist. You do want to obviously make sure that you do a good job and that you give value for what you're doing. So you, you need to, to practice and and to get it as right as you possibly can for the audience, because you do you don't want the message to be lost. But equally, you know, get out there and do it. Now, for for me, there's two sides of this in terms of the the vocabulary expansion in English for me that came you know when I was still quite young and I was at school but one of the things that I started doing and I still recommend that to people now if you want to expand your vocabulary in, even in your own language but uh, particularly in a foreign language is to read in that language read lots and lots of different things whether it's books magazines and also listen and watch things you know the news etc the radio but particularly reading I found I started reading fiction books in English at the age of 12, my stepdad bought me a book in English. Wow. And I kind of enjoyed reading in English that much that I stopped reading in German or Italian, which probably <laughs> isn't so good. So from the age of 12, I started reading just in English and I devoured books. And one of the best tips that one of uh, my English teachers at school gave me, and it's kind of in contradiction but uh, to what Olga was saying about the dictionary, but I do the, the point Olga makes about looking up words in a dictionary is really important actually to learn new words but in terms of reading the important thing is that you learn vocabulary by learning in context and so the advice that my teacher gave me that I always pass on to people is you know don't have a dictionary to hand when you're reading a book and just get engrossed in what you're reading uh, okay. and the storyline and you will pick up the vocab simply from the context and then you start to learn that vocab in context. So that's how I expanded my English vocabulary. When it then comes to technical stuff, so this is what I was saying earlier about mm. um, delivering content in French, about a very specific subject and you know, I pride myself on everything that I talk about, whether it's speeches, workshops or lecturing, you know, it has to be evidence-based, based on the, the research that's out there. So I want to make sure that I get it right. So I did do a lot of kind of translating of key terms, making sure not only that I've got the terms right, but also kind of checking in with, with native speakers. Is that the term you use for that? Because it might be a yeah. decent translation, but it might not be what they use. <laughs> so yes. it needs to be something that's recognized. So if somebody was speaking in English and it's not their language, they might actually be able to use terms that are, you know, that are decent translations. But if you check with an English speaker, is that what you would use in that context? They might say, well, yeah. actually, no, you would use that in Instead. So it can be really useful <laughs> to do that. And I would say, you know, whereas you might want to memorize lots of stuff and, you know, it's, it's almost like a point of pride, isn't it, as a speaker that you can do it without notes and all of that. And, and actually, there is nothing wrong if you're speaking in a language particularly that isn't yours. But in any case, if you kind of go, oh, I just want to make sure I get this number right or this fact right, so I've written it down, I'm going to refer to my notes for it. There's nothing wrong with saying the same thing if yeah. it's a term or a technical term to say, right, I've just written it down because English isn't my first language and I want to make sure I get this right. I don't want to kind of tell you the the wrong thing. And most people in the audience, let's face it, I mean, I know we talked about racism and stuff, but most people aren't racist and xenophobic. And, and you know, yes. most people are actually quite in awe of people who speak multiple languages and quite in admiration when they're sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, this person isn't actually English and they're doing a presentation in English. And I would be quaking in my boots to do a presentation 
in my own language, never mind in, in a foreign <laughs> language. So actually, people will generally be quite understanding and welcoming. And I don't think anybody would ever mind if you said, yeah. I'm just going to refer to my notes for this one. So that would be my tip to kind of make sure you're comfortable in the conversational stuff. And it doesn't matter then when you when things aren't quite right. And, you know, and, and you can laugh it off when you when you use the wrong idiomatic phrase and, and that kind of thing, you know. But when it comes to the technical terms that you want to get right, just write them down and refer to them. Really great tips there. Yeah. So write down some of those technical stuff and other things. Yeah. And I think because I, I'm getting to know, I probably know you a little better, Fred, but I'm getting to know Olga as well. What what I love, both of you are, you generally live out that kind of positive psychology stuff and you're both <laughs> real laughers, which I really like. You know, you've got a great sense mm. of humour. I don't think I've spoken to either of you for more than a few minutes without you laughing at some point. <laughs> so True. how important is humour you know, because you could take yourself very seriously. You know, you're doing, I'm doing something in English now. I've got to get this presentation right. You could take yourself extremely seriously. And, you know, how do you feel that, you know, the humour is important, maybe just to lighten things up a little? Oh, it's huge. It's huge. I mean, if you, if you take yourself too seriously, you're going to get yourself in a complete tizzy about things, aren't you? You're going to get yeah. yourself really worked up. And actually, I'll give you an example. And this isn't so much about it being a foreign language, but I was recently delivering a workshop to a senior leadership team of a Catholic high school. And I started talking, I was talking about stress and stress hormones and ways to relieve stress and all of this stuff. And suddenly, <laughs> I don't know what happened to me, but instead of stress, I said sex. <laughs> and I was very <laughs> conscious that this was a Catholic high school, just to make it even. And yeah, oh I could have fallen to pieces at that one, couldn't I? But I was just, I just started laughing and I just said, I have no idea where that came from. I'm really sorry. And I just kept laughing about it and they were laughing with me. And then I just laughed and I went, right, anyway, moving on swiftly. And then just to kind of, I thought, well, actually it was really funny. So the next time I spoke at a school and I was talking about the same topic, I actually told them about the blunder. All right. I said, right, I'm really glad that I've not done that this time. And actually, you know, use the use the blunders to, to kind of yeah. make a funny element out of it. Because if you can lighten any kind of speech or training situation with humour, it's great. And the thing is, the one thing you don't want is for the audience to feel uncomfortable for you. So if you're yeah. if you do get something wrong and you suddenly become really, really flustered and you, you completely fall to pieces, they're going to feel really uncomfortable and not quite know what to do with themselves you know whereas if you just laugh it off they'll just laugh with you and it's all fine absolutely I think I think the older I get not only in life but also as as presenters and speakers I'm so grateful for people who don't take themselves too seriously these days I really am I just love people who just you know have that sense of humor have that authenticity of look I messed up I got it wrong that's fine I have so many so many questions about that Catholic story that's really great <laughs> Great. I was wondering whether I did. I must say, I did go beetroot red. I mean, I was yeah. just so red, <laughs> and they just couldn't stop laughing. You know, there were a few times yeah. when I was like, "Right, okay, let's just," you know. But it was it was funny, <laughs> and I still don't know why I suddenly started talking about sex. I've no idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you when you're speaking in schools, like I've done a lot of these, you know, you don't know what's going to be on the walls of the room that you're speaking mm. in. So they could, you know, I've been, I've been in schools and they could have like a whole sexual health thing right in front of you while you're mm. presenting. So you might have seen something on the way in and it got into your subconscious. Well, well it was Who virtual. It was virtual and it was just a conference. Oh, it was a virtual one. In. So, yeah. 
Oh, I thought you I were in the what hall. I could have done is gone. Oh, my line's gone dead. Sorry. That's <laughs> yeah. funny. That's funny. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's great. So we'll, we'll start to wrap things up a little bit. Um, Olga, let, let me ask you this kind of slightly awkward question, I guess. Do you want people to correct your English or not? Because that's a tricky one, right? It is a very tricky one. I do understand why it's quite confusing to those who can help because yeah. it's like I can help you, but at the same time it can be very, very wrongly taken. So my personal opinion is, and my personal take on this is, yes, please. But maybe not in a way, Olga, you always do it wrong. Maybe not in a way, <laughs> yeah, oh, okay, yeah. your English is S-H-I-T, right? Maybe in a way like, you know, I, I, I like the English, but this is the way how actually we English speakers say that. And I have a friend, Vanessa, she's a linguist. And I, it's amazing how when we have a conversation, we can speak for about half an hour, 40 minutes or something. And then in the end, she was saying, um, do you mind if I just add one little thing? I would say, yeah, yeah, sure what it is. She says, you know, I, I loved our conversation. It was really, really nice chat. But I noticed during the conversation, you said this a few times. Yeah. So, you know, this is the way how it would be correct way to say. For example, I used to say something, 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 what, da-da-da-da. And actually, it's not about what, it's about that. Uh, yes. And I, I didn't know about that. And, and the truth is, we use English language in the way how we would use our own mother language. So yeah. my own answer is yes, please. But in a respectful, in a subtle way, how can we improve if you don't tell us? If you would start learning uh, Russian, Lee, I'm sure you wouldn't go to a Chinese <laughs> speaker to ask them to improve you. You probably have a conversation with me and I would say, Lee, you speak brilliant Russian. It's, oh my God, you made amazing progress. But you know, that word which you say, how about trying it differently? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like unsolicited feedback is never great. You don't want someone to put their hand up in the middle of a talk. But if someone is friendly and they're talking to you afterwards, hopefully they'll talk about other things too. But you you wouldn't mind, you know, a, a gentle nudge or a gentle correction, I guess, is what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. It's very, very welcomed. And people in my environment all of them they know. In, in fact, sometimes when we have a conversation and I, I mispronounce a word or I say something wrongly and I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Said again, you know, next time when I do it, could you please correct me? Or next time when I do something like this, please tell me if I say it wrong. Yeah. So I always give people permission. Of course, I don't walk on the stage saying, if you think I say something wrong, please come <laughs> here. I don't say that, right? But yeah, you always can welcome people to help you if you really trust their expertise. But again, be mindful with that. Don't yeah. strive to be perfect because perfection is boring. Just like you said earlier only, and I like that quote, perfection is boring. Let's not be perfect. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I only, I only present in English and sometimes I struggle with that. And even though it's the only language that I speak, apart from saying hello in about three or four languages, I still get words wrong too. And I get things the wrong way. I listen to recordings of myself like this podcast, and I might have even replaced words. Nobody has perfect English. And there's so much stress that comes with that. And I, I just think of you, it's about the intention. It's about your positivity. It's about getting a message across. So even if you replace words or words drop out or they're not quite right, the message is still there. And I think that's an important point to remember. So for, uh, Fred, um, how do you feel if someone corrects you have you had any weird experiences around that uh, 
Um, no, not really. I mean, I suppose with me, because people don't generally realise that I'm not British, <laughs> don't tend yeah. to get that as much. I mean, like I say, you know, my my family do, uh, they're, they're quite merciless with it, you know, if I do get something wrong. I think right. there is this almost um, uh, schadenfreude about it, you know, it's like, oh my God, mum, I got something wrong in English, you know. Yeah. So it's it's fine. It's my family and we can we can be quite merciless with each other and, uh, you know, and generally, I mean, if, if I do get something wrong, it, it all depends. I think it's like every bit of feedback as a speaker, you know, whether it's the intention that matters. And I suppose it, it matters to some extent whether you have the relationship with someone. If, if a total stranger came up to me and started correcting me on stuff, I might feel a bit strange about it, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know. But if I was having a conversation with you, Lee, and you said, oh, you know, you used a really odd word there. I don't think, did you did you mean that? You know, usually mm. I'd expect to hear that. Then I'd be, oh, gosh, yeah, I'm really glad you've said that, you know. So as Olga was saying, it depends on the context. It depends on how it's done you know when I'm, I'm whatsapping with my mom and sister all the time and I'm really grateful when she kind of corrects Italian grammar and just says oh no you want that there and she doesn't do it in a kind of she, she'll just send you the right word <laughs> you know or the right yeah. verb form and it's like because I, I don't want to to slip and lose my Italian you know and I want to make sure that it stays good so I'm really grateful for those corrections but it, it really does depend on who's doing it and how they're doing it I think uh, context yeah. is everything it's like the fact that we're having a conversation which is a lovely open conversation about being a foreigner in this country and speaking in a language that's not your own as opposed to you know where are you from no but really where are you really from you yeah. know which is a very different kind of you know you can ask mm. the same questions in a very yeah. and it's what's behind it isn't it absolutely yeah intention is everything really and mm. yeah i mean i so when people who are presenting in english is not their first language they're often asking me for feedback and literally every time they ask me for feedback. I first of all, I say to them, "Can I just say how in awe of you I am that you are producing this presentation in your second or sometimes third or fourth language? Mm-hmm. That itself is just amazing." So I, I go in with that kind of that kind of amazed attitude, like, "Wow, I can't do that." You know, the only other language I can vaguely speak is body language. I guess I can vaguely speak. I'm vaguely <laughs> fluent in body language, but that's surely by it. now you speak a bit of Yorkshire and 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 well, probably Geordie's in there as well, right? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Well, I've got the Northeast thing and the Yorkshire thing, and there's still now. I've been I've lived in Yorkshire since 1988, mid 80s, and I've there's still Yorkshire words I, I've I've never heard of, you know. And so yeah, there's a difference between accents and dialects, and I guess we could talk about this all day. But just to finish then, uh, you can tell us your website in a moment, but I've got to ask you both this. I play basketball with people from all different nations. And what I find is that when when something goes wrong, they they tend to use their original language to swear and be angry. Um, (laughs) Any comments on that at all? It's really odd. I noticed I had kind of made a massive switch some point in my first or second year at uni because I noticed that I started swearing in English and uh, you know and and it's really but there are certain things on the other hand that are still so for example I I mean I don't know if I'm the only person that does this but say you've got to sort something alphabetically or search through something alphabetically you kind of run through the alphabet in your head really quickly and that bit I always do in German always It's kind of like, you know, it's really embedded, but swearing was always, it tended to be German and then it very quickly switched to English. It's really odd. Yes. (laughs) And uh, I'm not sure, I'm sure Olga never, never gets angry on her swears. I just need (laughs) to ask. Oh, no, absolutely. I I nearly swore when you actually said, every time when I hear somebody giving presentation, 
on the second or third or fourth language. I come to them and I say, I'm absolutely in awe about you doing this. And I thought, I remember you telling me this. So you are telling me you are saying this to everyone. And I felt so special that day. <laughs> so a little small there in a proper English way. <laughs> Sorry, Olga. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. No, answering your question, answering your question about swearing. You know, it's definitely in English. And I think it's in English because I think it sounds better in English. Because in Russian, it would be just way too long. And by the time I'll finish my swearing, I probably will calm down. So for me, it's just easier to swear in, in, in English. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Yeah, I've learned all sorts of words by playing basketball with international people. It's been wonderful. So th- thank you so much. There's been so much stuff there. So, Frederick, just tell how people how can people get hold of you and contact you if they need to. Okay, yeah. So my website, I've got two of them. So as a speaker solo, it's happiness-speaker.co.uk. And for the more project type stuff, improvement and action research, etc., I do that through my community interest company. And that is educate2flourish.org.uk. Wonderful. And Olga, how do people get hold of yourself? Well, they just can come up to me on the street and ask me, <laughs> are you from Russia? <laughs> Well, if they want to find me, they can definitely find me on my website, which is my name, olgagaydana.com, and also all over social media. But don't look for my stuff in Russian language because I don't do anything in Russian since I forgot how to speak in Russian. So everything which you'll find will be only in the pure English. That's right. And uh, you spell Gaydana, G-E-I-D-A-N-E.com, olgagaydana.com. So thank you so much. You've both been wonderful. You've been really honest. And I just hope this is a great, encouraging resource for for anyone who speaks and presents as English as their second or third language. So thank you so much, both of you. Wonderful. Thank you, Lee. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. And we'll see you next time on Get Good at Presenting the Podcast with myself, Lee Jackson. You can find out more about me at leejackson.org. That's leejackson.org. See you next time. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Get Good at Presenting podcast with your host, Lee Jackson. If you'd like to know more about Lee's work as a motivational keynote speaker and presentation coach, visit his website at leejackson.biz. That's leejackson.biz.